My name is Jay Lasseter, and I am perhaps the most notorious ex-drug addict in all of New Jersey. I'm a heroin addict with a meth problem who did a lot of coke. But when I got out of the 28 days, my behaviors and, and the way I was living life was still the same. This is Heroin Uncut, the truth about the crisis, brought to you by NJ1015.com and made possible by Carrier Clinic. It's hard for me to talk about where I'm at and where I've been. The things I've sacrificed for the drugs. I've got a lot of regrets. Um, I've had a lot of good people in my life that have cared for me. And I've turned my back on them because of the drug. And today I'm lucky to have the people I have in my life, the guys I got in my life. Um, and that's what allows me to be as strong as I am about not going back to drugs. Now going back to drug activity, it's not just, like Vince said, it's, it's behaviors. Um, the drugs have been taken out of my life before, but I continue to sell drugs and destroy things. I've got, I can't really talk too good right now because I'm very emotional. Um, Having people that care about drug addicts who aren't pieces of shit gets me emotional. It's nice to know that somebody cares. And it makes me want to survive. It makes me not want to die. It makes me have hope. Um, I try not to talk too much about my home life. But I've been with the same girl for 20 years and I've known her since I was seven. Mm. And she's still with me. Mm. She's still in my corner, suffering when I suffer. Whatever I go through, she goes through. And when I feel love from other people, guys, girls, governors, ex-governors, mm. radio personnel, just people who care about what's going on today, it gets me emotional. Because it's serious. My daughter's following my footsteps. She's 17 years old. She's following my footsteps. And I'm allowing it to happen because I chose drugs over my children. It's hard. It's very hard. But the best thing you could do for somebody who is addicted to drugs is give them tough love, however love them. Because none keeps me stronger than love. Not the program, not the meetings. A hug. Friends. People that know you're hurt. That's all I got for right now. Hello and welcome to Heroin Uncut, a podcast devoted to New Jersey's heroin crisis. I'm your host, Jay Lasseter. Today we're going to meet three men with substance abuse disorders. Uh, my name is Brian Johnston. Where are you from? I grew up in Woodbridge Township. Vince, 
Petty, and I'm from Gloucester County. Eric Meekly, and I'm from Orange County, Tom's River. These voices are severely lacking in all this talk about New Jersey's opiate crisis. We've heard from lawmakers, cops, and plenty of doctors. Occasionally, we hear from a mom who's lost her child to a heroin overdose, and these stories are all important. But so are the voices of those who are still in active addiction, as well as those who are in the very early stages of recovery. That's what today's podcast is all about elevating three voices who have a lot to teach us. Our attention is diverted from all those other substances out there like alcohol and crack cocaine. We also learned what a drug addict needs in the middle of their rock bottom moment. We learned it in their own words. Big thanks to Jim McGreevy who put this group together up in Jersey City. If that name rings a bell, it's probably because he was governor of New Jersey way back in the day. He's devoted his entire post-political career to combating recidivism and addiction. He's been a very good friend to this podcast, and we're grateful for that. Now, without any further ado, let's get to our conversation. Thanks, guys, for joining me this morning. Even though we're in the midst of this heroin crisis, everybody knows it, everybody's talking about it, everybody's got strong opinions about it. People don't really know that much, but they're still, they got a lot to say. A lot of us had other drugs that we were doing as well. So I did heroin. If I was partying with somebody who did heroin, mostly my drug of choice was, was crystal meth, which I did intravenously. And I'm wondering if you guys could kind of just sort of go and explain how you, there were multiple dragons that we were chasing. Um, well, for me personally, I started using drugs at 12. Um, ecstasy, mushrooms, cocaine, you know, I pretty much did everything. And I actually been to rehab before I even started opiates. Um, cocaine and alcohol I went to rehab twice for. But I still had my life. I still had a wife, I still had a family, I still had every, everything. And soon as I started doing opiates, soon as I had a shoulder surgery and the doctor gave me you know, Oxycontins and Percocets on top of it, it was all downhill from there. And as soon as I stuck a needle in my arm, mm. Just lost everything. How about you, Vince? Um, the way I pretty much label myself, um, I'm a heroin addict with a meth problem who did a lot of coke. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, if I couldn't like put it in my vein, I kind of stayed away from it the last like five years. And you told me something that really kind of blew my mind before we were talking, and that you you did have a cocaine problem. I definitely had a cocaine problem. I've been doing cocaine since I was 12 years old. Um, I'm 45. And I've been to multiple rehabs. However, my life has never become as unmanageable as it has from the use of heroin. Heroin made me not care about anything, not my parents, not. I've been with the same girl for over 20 years and she's got lupus, she's very sick and I didn't care about her. I didn't mm. care about my daughter, I didn't care about my son. I didn't care about my stepkids, I, I didn't care about myself. And um, it hasn't been until recently I started to care about myself and things start to fall back in place. You could be addicted to crack cocaine, which is a really hardcore addiction, but once heroin goes along, heroin just kind of kicks whatever you're addicted right off the table. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, heroin has, cocaine has nothing on heroin. Absolutely. As far as the addiction goes, the destruction goes, I, I, it's hard to explain how a substance that comes in a little bag can beat you down so bad. Um, and it can beat your other addictions. It can, like, my, my meth use kicked my alcoholism, like, right out of my life. It was sort of like addiction to heroin can take an addiction to meth and take it outside and kick its ass or something. It's, it doesn't stand a chance. Not a chance at all. 
heroin is, is the worst thing in the world, and especially now that it's not even heroin, it's fentanyl, and it's killing people. But at the time, we don't care. We do not care what we're putting in our bodies. And we go after the bag that's killing people. Yeah. That's if somebody tells me, oh, somebody just overdosed from this bag, I want to go to where that bag is. That was funny because, you know, most people would be like, oh, my God, fentanyl and go running away because, you know, they that's know that. That's how I was. <clears throat> like, I, didn't, I was afraid. I didn't, I didn't want to die. Even, I mean. You didn't want that big of a buzz. You, no, no, it was more of getting through the day. At the end of my run, I wasn't doing heroin to get high. I was doing heroin so I can get out of bed. So I can even go to work to support my family, which, you know, ended up losing, you know, my jobs and all. I couldn't go to work. And you're you're working to get high and you're getting high to work. You're working you're getting high to live, you're you're living to get high. It, but it wasn't like I said, it wasn't high. It was to become normal. I've been to rehab once for twenty eight days. You guys have all, all been in multiple times in some instances. Like, what did you do better the second time? Like, what do people just not understand about rehab? Like, what do moms of addicts need to know to get squared away to, like, increase their chances while they're in here? When I'm thinking of my own experience, like, I was really lucky because I had people visiting me all the time. I had people sending me letters. I had a lot of stationery and I had a lot of stamps. And so, like, writing and journals and getting all that kind of horrible stuff out, I feel like those kinds of little things really gave me an edge. Fentanyl is so profoundly more powerful and so profoundly corrosive that you become even more distanced from that desire to communicate. Not only do you break down in terms of family, in terms of job, but you break down in terms of your own psychology. Mm -hmm. In the sense that at, at some point, you know, Jay knew that it's healthy to communicate with family. I think fentanyl almost breaks so many bonds that it's it's just such a significant game changer. Like having stationary in rehab seems like such a quaint notion in the face of this fentanyl ad. So I'm talking about going to rehab in a different era. It's almost like yeah. kindergarten. Like it's so much harder now. Yeah, There's it is. There's a lot of people in rehab that don't even want to be there and don't even want to get sober. So when you're in rehab, you have to hang out with the people who want to get clean, who want to get sober. You have to pick out, you know, you have to gravitate toward the people that are doing the right thing. Positivity attracts positivity as well. So the people who aren't sneaking drugs in. Yeah, but when it comes to a drug also. addict, even if you take the drug out of the equation, mm -hmm. there's still the behaviors and everything like that. Drugs are literally just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more involved. The way you think, the way you act, your attitude, everything. You need to completely change everything to get better. So, like, do you think that the focus on, I mean, detox is important, the Narcan is important, but that doesn't help you develop tools to cope or anything. Exactly. And I think that's the reason why 28-day uh, programs are, are not enough. Not Say that again. 28-day programs are, are, not are enough. nothing for somebody. Yeah, absolutely it's not. crazy. It's, it's, a, it's a waste of money. It's, it's what we call an oil change. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, tune-up. Just Bad investment? Yeah, it doesn't even give you time to touch on the things. It gets the drugs out of your system a little bit. If you're just coming off the street, 28 days doesn't even have the drugs out of your system. I broke my own leg in a nod while I was on heroin. Jeez. Um, and I went to the county jail like three days afterwards and 
sat about four months before I went to rehab. And it wasn't until about two and a half, three months into the county where I started feeling feelings again. Where I started having remorse and regret about what I've done. And going to rehab, I looked at it as a way out of jail. And it wasn't until about a month into rehab where I started to plant my feet. Where I was in the program and I started to care about what was being said and what I could get out of the program and how I can get back with my family. See, it's funny because you're expressing a situation that's occurring all over the state and these 28-day rehabs, it almost seems like, because I was on rehab on Medicaid and so these are taxpayer dollars and I think the taxpayers want to feel like, well, if we're going to throw money at this problem, we want to have better outcomes. Yeah, because I've been to four rehabs. And this is my fifth. And nothing worked for me up until this point in time. Where What's different now? It's longer? I don't know if it's longer or if it's my attitude. Um, this is the first time I've been to program for opiates. Every other time it was cocaine. Opiates destroyed my life in a very short period of time. I had everything that a gentleman my age would want, and I lost it all because of it and short-term program would do nothing for somebody who has an opiate addiction. It doesn't even have it out of your system in 28 days. So you said it It wasn't until around the 28 day that you first even started to feel again and got your legs back underneath you. Yeah, and that was after being in the county for four months. Yep. And I was in a program. That was That's my thinking going for four months without any counseling yeah. a little bit in the county however once i got to long term after about 30 days did i start to like see the light like america again yes yeah but and, nothing nothing matters it's all irrelevant you have to want to change for the work you have to god could come down and be like take my hand right you know get it's not gonna work unless you want to so for a mother who's desperate to get her kid into rehab and the family's 100% ready to be there, and obviously the drug user is not quite there yet. Do you think it's fair to say to her, I mean, we give them false hope when we put them in rehab when we're not ready to be there. It's like we're afraid to tell the truth about people's chances. Yeah, but I think, Jay, people get so afraid. I mean, from the perspective of parents, I was with a group of parents last night, and parents are just so afraid of losing their children. And they're just, excuse me, scared shitless that they're going to find their son or their daughter dead. And so they just want them. They know that, candidly, if their son or daughter is in jail or in a treatment program, at least they pray that they're safe. They don't want them to be on the street. They don't want them to be in prison because they they have all the access in the world to heroin and to fentanyl on the street or in prison and so parents families i was with these families last night and you could feel it you, i mean you could feel that they just want their loved one they just want typically their sons to be like in a bubble where heroin and fentanyl can't reach them i mean at least they're safe at least they're not using that's I mean, not necessarily true Joe. well i mean at I least there's a, a better yeah. chance it's a better chance okay if, if, if they want it because yeah. I well that goes to vince's point but if, you know you're the mother or father that's all you've got but what yeah. you're what you're describing is a mother and father who are so desperate that they're like well who cares if this program isn't working at least they're off the streets i mean that seems like it's, I mean, is yeah. it? But the 28 days again is nowhere near enough because every single rehab that I went into, I wanted to change. 
I hate I went to rehab because my life was was crap. You know, I did everything I thought I needed to do in rehab, but when I got out of the 28 days, my behaviors and, and the way I was living life was still the same. Mm. Just the Vince's point. Yeah. Exactly. So, and, and like fentanyl and heroin are, are, it's everywhere. So, and then not even then, you know, the doctors are everywhere. I can go get a pill. So, so if you're not coming out with the tools to cope with what's there, then and you're you gonna... can't get those tools in 28 days. I believe Absolutely anyway. Not. Um, it, it takes a long time to change. How much? Behaviors. How much clean time do you need, Vince? I I can't speak for everybody. I can only speak what like me personally, and then I can give suggestions that sure. can help people. I mean, I got like ten months clean. Congratulations! And thank you. But okay. I still have a long way to go. Like I've been high since you know ninety nine. Wow. Like I. So you have ten months clean. Yeah. And do you still have your cravings? No, I want nothing to do with it. It makes me sick to think about what I did. And did you take Vivitrol or? No. God bless you. Thanks. Do you work the steps? Absolutely. I actually just got a sponsor last week. Congratulations. Cool. Right. Um, it's really. It's funny when you talk about the steps because there's so many programs and some of them are great for some people. And like my big fear is that like we're going to have like the 12 step community fighting with the medical assistant. You know, it, it's like we're competing. <laughs> for who can make these addicts better when the truth is it's not a one-size-fits-all anyway. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, Vince rigorously works these steps. He just got a sponsor. These are non-negotiable rules of, of the program. Look, just because I only use six of the 12 steps doesn't mean I don't realize how important those 12 steps are. Mm -hmm. That's true. I, but I also know that for some people, you know, that path is probably not going to be their path back. You might need to go on Suboxone. Mm -hmm. You might need to do all of those Everybody's things. Everybody's path is going to be done. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And to what you were just saying, you're, you're right. Because like, I, I have experience with you know, medical assistant treatment. And um, when you go to NA or AA, it's the, I feel a bad vibe. It, it's, people are pushing you to get off of it. I was talking to somebody in the house that I live in um, yesterday on the bus home. He said he had a, you know, a good friend who was on um, methadone. But he got a sponsor, he did the steps, and his sponsor was trying to push him off of it. He got off it in a month and a half. Um, two weeks later, he was dead. The whole time he was on methadone, living his life, doing great, working, family, a month and a half after he got off the methadone, he's, he's dead. Because somebody pushed him to get off of it. You need to have all of these arrows in your quiver. Right. It's the same way that, you know, when you're battling cancer in your family, chemo, some types of chemotherapy, some types of radiation work better in certain people. And I think that's Vince's point, but we also understand what we have to do, is we have to make, we have to bring back the person medically, we have to understand the psychological challenges, and we have to understand the behavioral, the social challenges. But med medical assisted therapy has actually been around for a long time. People yep. are familiar with methadone, which is an opiate. So we're, yep. we're essentially substituting an opiate for an opiate. Well, no, the Vivitrol is a non-opiate. Exactly. So, so that's, that's very that's different. What's new. That's, so, what's that's what's very new, and that's what I think the AA community, the NA community can embrace because it's, a, it's not an opiate. It has no street value. It's not a substitute, it's, it's a blocker. And so what the person with the addict understands is that if I'm taking Vivitrol on a regular basis and I go out and use, it's going to have no effect on me. I can hear, I can hear my listeners right now at NJ1015 um, 
which are a little bit more conservative than my actual politics. They're going to be like, we're just replacing one addiction for another. When are you guys going to accept No, but it's a bridge. It's a bridge to sobriety. And the name of the game is, you have to understand, if you do nothing, to go to Eric's point, if, if you do nothing, if you don't provide any assistance, I mean, there's two options, prison and death, and usually prison leads to death. As far as the methadone and Suboxone, it's, it's not perfect. There's, there's people out there abusing it. Yeah. Absolutely. In jail, Suboxone is a huge, huge drug. Um, methadone, I know in clinics, people are selling it, you know. Ugh, it's awful. But I also know people who are um, sniffing Wellbutrin and antidepressants, and they're abusing that. So we should get rid of all that. So it's Suboxone and methanol are helping people stay sober, and they're not going to street corners to get it. They're not, you know, robbing people to get it. I don't know how we could expect that our state's going to pay for the medicine when we, they won't even pay for a syringe. They won't even pay 50 cents for a syringe. And we're, I mean, talk about a bad investment, you know. So, so when I look at um, needles and needle exchange, and you know what? Needle exchange doesn't work for, it's not perfect either. Vince told me that he would, he was a dirty, he's a dirty addict and he would find it. I don't think that's that uncommon. You know, if if you're down and out and and, and all you've got is a dirty needle, you know what? You're using the dirty needle. But when we have the needle exchange, that's less dirty needles out there for first responders or for, you know, whoever finds you. Mm -hmm. You know, like what if your mom comes and finds you in, in 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 an overdose situation and you've, I don't know, or, or, or a sniffer dog gets stuck by one of these things. So the idea that New Jersey doesn't, care enough to provide basic harm reduction allowances basics so so they would they don't want to pay for our hepatitis treatment either though yeah they're really mad about that and now we're going to take a quick break to hear from the sponsor for heroin uncut carrier clinic we'll be right back new jersey 101.5's exclusive series heroin uncut is made possible in part by carrier clinic those suffering with mental illness or addiction need care New Jersey's Carrier Clinic offers compassionate care, redefining behavioral health care with holistic approaches beyond medicine. When it's time to think about behavioral health care, think Carrier. Learn more at CarrierClinic.org. People think we don't have regrets. People think we're lazy and stupid. You know, it's like... I've been been off of crystal meth for 14 years, and I still have regrets. And you know what? I have the tools to deal with those regrets. And so when people think, well, why don't they show more responsibility or why don't they show more remorse? You know, <laughs> being a drug addict is, is un- I felt like it was shameful. It was undignified. I mean, it's just like we've suffered enough. You know what I mean? So if we're not beating ourselves up for like, to make other people feel like we need to accept responsibility, I didn't deserve the grace I was shown. I didn't deserve any of it. But you know what? They showed it anyway. So when I see people writing nasty things on the internet, you know, it's very it's very hurtful. And the truth is, I don't even think people really but, feel that but, way. But, but Jay, considering what's happening in the street with this fentanyl crisis and how many people's lives it's touching, I think it's touching people's fathers, sons, mothers, and sisters. It's like a scourge that's just moving through the state. And it happens one family at a time, one person at a time. And it's like Eric 
and his girlfriend, it's Brian and his children, it's Vince and his family, and that just changes, and what you said, with your family. And so I think, you know, and, and there are the haters, but there are a lot of good people out there that, that love and there are a lot of good people, and when Eric shares as powerful and as honestly and as as truthfully as he did, I think that changes hearts. That, that, that's the best we got, though. And that's, that's all we need. Yeah. That's all we need. I mean, Eric, that's, that's powerful. And then when people say, and then hopefully we have a court system that's more responsive, we have prosecutors who understand that putting people in prison isn't going to be the solution, that you have to bring people, whether it's behavior, whether it's medical, whether it's psycho, that you have to bring people back because people want to be whole. Do you guys have a plan for after? I mean, have you started allowing yourself to think about, uh, I mean? Yeah, I just, I just want to get back to being uh, a working father, husband, son, part of society. Um, the things I remember best in my life were times where I was clean. Mm. And it hasn't been much. Most of my life's been spent surrounded around drugs. But I have had some periods of time where I was clean. And um, there's nothing better than going home after work and, and being a part of your family. However, Yeah, it's not the fancy stuff. It's the quiet yeah. every day. And you should have seen Eric and these guys in our program here in, in Jersey City. And when they spoke, we had the Assistant Secretary of, of Health and Human Services here. And it was, you know, their testimony that, like... So that we're in the middle of a crisis, and, and the first thing that we've got to do is like we've got to ring that bell, we've got to light that fire, so that you know when Eric or Vince talks about behaviors, and when Brian talks about the stuff, it's also not only about their lives, but it's that next generation behind us who, frankly, aren't as strong as Vince, aren't as have the life experience of an Eric, aren't doesn't have a family of a Brian. These young kids, I'm scared shitless. Yeah, me too. These 21 year olds. They're like, I, I was at a, at a family meeting last night to, to 10 o'clock with young gals and guys. And they were like, Jay, these parents, these kids were like a wreck. And so, I mean, like the, 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 the Vince, the self-awareness that he has, Eric, the, the sense of depth that he has, you know, Brian, the, where, these kids have none of that. And they, and they also don't have, they're not tied to things the way you're tied to. So these kids are like leaves in the wind, just being blown and, and chasing fentanyl. Even more fragile. Oh, much more. And, I mean, and, and more vulnerable. My addiction has messed with my emotions and my, my psychology. It's so, so bad. So I can't imagine not even being developed yet and being a young kid. That's a better word. Yep. And having to deal with this. So, How old are you? 36 years old. I have three kids. You only look like 45. <laughs> yeah, I feel older than that, I'll tell you that. Um, three kids, back to whatever. I have a family who supported me from day one. Always have. And it's really got me through everything. My my ex-wife's mother-in-law, my ex-wife's mother and ex-wife's father are, are there for me as well. And your kids. Oh my God, yeah, absolutely. My kids love me to death. Um, and, you know, my 15-year-old, I'm honest with him. Like, I think it's extremely important for him to know 
the struggle, the, the, the realness of this. The, because when I was younger, it was like, it was okay to do the things I was doing. My, my parents never had a talk with me about drugs because they assumed that I was smart enough to figure it out. And when I look at the talks that parents have with kids nowadays, these parents are so freaked out. They're not giving the kids the straight skinny. They're giving them some sanitized kind of... Their program stuff. So so what so let's just say that there was a young seventeen year old kid who was already off to the races chasing fentanyl, and his mother came to you. W- would you pussyfoot around with her, or would no. you just? Do you feel like these? What would you tell her? I don't know exactly what I would tell her, but like it's the things we, we we do, it's it's disgusting. Like they, they're. What do you tell your, your kids to keep them from following in your path? That's a hard question to answer. I okay. tell, I, I uh, say to kids, you do it once, excuse me, you're fucked. Because fentanyl is so powerful. I mean, not to put it in biblical terms, but if you, if you wrestle with this devil, this is a devil you're gonna be wrestling with for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And so the name of the game is don't go close to this. But, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is like we've got a government that's telling us that pot is more dangerous than meth, right? So how are we supposed? <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, right? And we've got parents who they're concerned, but they're not quite being totally honest with us when they're trying to get us off drugs. Like there is. I think no- also parents, to be fair, Jay, in a lot of cases, just simply don't know. But 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 how can we look at our parents or the government or these people that are trying to tell us how it is? They have no credibility when they're either giving us some sanitized version of just say no or they're telling us that pot is more dangerous than meth because kids know better. So if we're bullshitting them about staying clean, then they're going to see right through it. So I almost feel like, like remember in, in the old AIDS days when everybody was like dying and dropping dead with lesions and all skinny and people were scared of that. And so that it changed their behavior. Yeah. And so it's almost like Narcan kind of lulled us into this, well, you know, this is manageable. I want to I scare the hell out of moms and dads and be like, if you don't have this conversation with your kids where you're really candid with them about actual dangers, I would have the sex conversation too, then you just risk leaving them vulnerable. So my 15-year-old has seen a lot. I mean, not in, he's seen a lot through me, meaning how depressed I was how angry I was, how hurt I was. He sees all that. And I let him know why I was like that. It's because of the, the addiction, the, the, these pills, the, you know. I, I don't tell him exactly the heroin that I, sh- I shot it, but he knows I've done it. I, was, I used to sit on top of a five-story building at the edge of it and just wanted to fall. Like, it, it was, I was so... We were in an apartment for four months with no electricity. Like, it was disgusting. Like squatting or? No, it was my apartment. We just didn't pay anything. Okay, right. We had to give my kids, to my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, we had to give away my kids. That's how bad this addiction got me. And I wanted to get out of it every single day. But it just had such a hold on me. I, you just want to, you had to put a needle, I had to put a needle in my arm to even be normal. My kid, my, my kids saw all that. So, you know, it, it runs in the family, too. I come from that. My father was an alcoholic. Same. <coughs> he died in a car accident four years ago. I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, 
my 15 year old, you know, I tell him pretty much why, why I was feeling like that, you know. But do you feel like very real too? Like, do you feel like a 15 year old kid benefits more from like seeing the real truth than being bullshitted to? Absolutely, 100 percent. Right. 100%. So, so I guess the point I'm trying to make is that if we're gonna BS our kids, and we probably should just not even bother. We should let somebody else have that difficult decision, that difficult conversation with them. But if we don't have the conversation with them, we're leaving them vulnerable. And and if we have a conversation that's not candid, we're also leaving them vulnerable. And and parents are desperate to know what to do. And what they're doing is more kind of amplified by emotion rather than, I don't know, maybe logic. Mm. And I get it. Their heart's broken, you know, but I don't know. And they're scared. They're scared. And, and you know how people do things like that aren't logical when they're scared and brokenhearted yep. and freaked out, and I just want to protect their kids from heroin. So Vince, can you sort of, you know, Jay said about, you know, what would you say to these kids, and and what was the thing that helped you get sober? Um, one of the reasons, like I I knew I was killing myself. I mean, you're you're. You're in so much pain, and it sucks the way you live, what you got to do, you know, to get the money to get high. Like, that that's one level, but, like, you know, I, I've tried taking my own life. And then, like, I used to sit there and, like, watch, like, couples hold hands, people walk their dogs, people mowing their lawn, and I was like, why, why can't that be me? And then I felt like I wasn't good enough. I pulled the whole woe is me. And that, like, I hit my bottom. But there's always a trap door at the bottom. And my, you know, long term treatment just helped me change my perspective and got me, like, going on the right path. But what was it that turned, what was the corner for you? Um, what like what led me into the the treatment? Yeah, and what and what like no, no I'm what saying the last straw. You and and also what was the thing that made you think that you could do this, you could live a healthy life? Well, it's it's, it's a real simple thing. I'm either gonna die, or get help. Which goes to back to Jay's point about fear. That's it. But you don't want to die. Absolutely not. No. No addict wants to. But it just hurts so much sometimes, and like. There's addicts out there that would love to get in rehab, but it's hard for them to, you know, they want something that would help build that bridge to get off, and they can't, like, get to it. It sucks. There's a lot of levels to it. Eric, what uh, what do you think's giving you an edge this time versus the other times you went in? Is it because you're older, maybe? It might be because I'm older. However, my mindset has changed. Um, I, I wanted, like Vince said, I wanted to die. Um, but you didn't want to die because you were depressed. You were want to die because you were in pain. I wanted to die because I was an addict. I was nothing mattered to the things that are important to me. And I knew they were important to me at the time because they were in my mind. However, the drugs had more on me than that. Did. Mm. And for you to have somebody who's your best friend, whether it's my you know, my girlfriend, my wife, I consider my wife, we've been together so long, but we've been together, been through so much. She, to this day, is one of the most important people in my life. Whether we're friends, boyfriend, girlfriend, married, I didn't care at that time that she was sitting home expecting me there to help her 
with her medical issues. Um, my daughter, who's following in my footsteps. When you say she's following in your footsteps, do you mean like using drugs? Following in my footsteps as far as drug activity. I see. I, I've let my daughter know I haven't sugarcoated anything, like you guys say. Um, I was sentenced to do a six-year prison term with a three-year mandatory minimum, which I did. Um, my daughter was there at sentencing, and that was when she was 10. She's 17 now, so was seven years ago. Um, that hurt her to know that dad was going to be gone for that period of time. And, and what did it accomplish? I don't know. I mean, uh, not to grind my axe about the prison system, but like. Oh, did what did prison accomplish? Yeah, prison nothing. accomplished nothing. That made me more angry, more aggressive, more drug. I'm sorry, Jay, but this is such an important no, thing the, to the say. No, the prison such, part of it. It's, it's not, no. it's crazy. No, because in prison you can't be, as I broke down here in front of you, you can't do that in prison. I'm a big, strong guy, and I just got bigger and stronger, and I got more angry and more like, yeah, I'm going out to do this. You get more of a gangster, Violence, gangster mentality. mentality. Like that's, You have to, to protect you yourself. To. So, so the self-preservation mentality that you have to adopt to survive in prison is completely working against your own sobriety. Yep. Without a doubt. For that's... Yeah, that's what you just said. You just made a powerful point. I just got goosebumps because <laughs> I that's a powerful yeah. point. That's a powerful point, and that's what's so frustrating is because when guys are, and gals are circulating through drug treatment programs, and then a judge puts them in prison, that prison to go to Eric's point is is not only counterintuitive; it's counterproductive. It destroys your sobriety. It destroys any inkling. It destroys any any movement towards a healthy self-awareness because you've got to protect yourself every hour of the day. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't, what I'm trying to I wasn't do. brought up in a, in a tough neighborhood. I'm from Tom's River. Um, I the mean, mean well, of Tom's the River. mean streets of Tom's no, River. No, you got, re you got Republicans there. So no. no, but I, mean, I lived right down near the courthouse. I mean, my, my dad designed aircraft carriers. It was highest paid ranked and highest civilian on the base my, my mother worked um and i mean i had a great family life yeah, but addiction happens to everyone yeah but my addiction it didn't matter addiction isn't you know just for the hood yes yeah, exactly addiction is addiction and if you take an addict and put i've got a long jacket i've got 10 felony convictions every one of them is for drugs everything to do with anything Against the law in my life has to do with drugs. Me and, too. And that's from the time I was 13, I'm 45. Yeah. And it, prison does nothing for a drug addict except for make them more angry and get them more into the hood life part of it. But can, can, yeah, could you Vince just talk about that, about what prison does in terms of the, the addict? Oh, it, it takes you farther away from helping you get clean. It literally... You know, separates you. And if a judge thinks like, all right, I'm going to put him, you know, in a cage for a while, he'll be all right. Absolutely not. It, do it doesn't doesn't work. But but it's funny because like a lot of people who really are maybe not empathetic and they're like, lock him up, let him die. It's that that class of people that's mm -hmm. just just lock him up. They're the same people that don't want to pay for, you know, when we get out and we have a hard time getting a normal job and we're on food stamps because we have diminished prospects. So it's the same people that don't want to help 
that I don't know. It, They're going to want to pay more in the long end. But I think I mean, there's also a number of people that I care about that are policymakers that think that putting people in prison is actually going to be constructive. And for the haters, God bless them, because what you're doing is when you hate and that's your motivation, you're going to want to pay in the entirety of the cost when somebody comes out. But I'm, I'm, I'm sort of concerned, Jay, about the policymakers, whether they be legislators, whether they be you know, whoever that be, judges or in the people who say, well, send them to prison, that will straighten them out. After we send them to treatment, 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 no. No matter what, sending people to prison to go to Eric's point, to, to go to Vince's point, is only, from my experience, is only going to make people worse. It's only going to it's worsen the disease. Pouring gas on a fire. It's, you're pouring gas. Vince has all the metaphors today. <laughs> but it, but it's, you know, it, it's the oil change and pouring <laughs> gas on the fire. Yeah, but you know that's a good metaphor because I think if people really thought that a 28-day stint in rehab is akin to a ding-ding yeah. ding oil change, because right. people know that that's a oh that's only a everybody knows that oil change isn't a real trip to the mechanic. It's yeah. just a, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just what you do because you you know you're like three thousand miles late. The lights lit up because you're guilty. Yeah. Um, but you were talking about the haters and, and people that just, just want to throw drug addicts in prison. I guarantee you if one of their family members or if somebody they knew personally, you know, became a drug addict, they wouldn't be saying this. And because we're, we're not scumbags. We're, I'm not somebody who, who just wants to live a life of crime. Like, I have a college degree. Uh, I raised a family. Like, uh, I had a you know decent job. I was a part of society. And... You want to walk the dog, mow the lawn, and hold hands like Vince said. Yeah. And, you know, the only thing that keeps me going is a family that absolutely loves me. So, uh, I don't understand people who just want to lock. <laughs> I was at my sister's 40th birthday party the other night, right? And she had a, she had friends there that I never met. This this girl starts talking about how her brother's a junkie, and he's a, he's a junkie, he's this, he's that. I said, yeah, I'm an addict, too. She automatically changed and went to, oh, well, and she went to empathy and sure. because there was a human being standing right. in front of her that was an addict. Completely different when you see it firsthand. Yeah, I've, I've snatched a few wigs in my day when people are talking XYZ about people like us and I'm just like, you know, I have a nicer house than you, but let me break. <laughs> anyway, that's just me a little bit bit. I surprise people all the time, and, and I'm happy to do it because I'm like, look, addicts are smart, we're resourceful, we're resilient, we got a lot of talents, you know, honing, cultivating our addiction, it takes a lot of skills. So if we can get to the other side, we bring a lot more to the table. Shit, I think everybody needs to do 28 days in rehab just to learn <laughs> forgiveness, just the little basics of life skills, you know? And you've come back from being broken, and you're strengthened, and you're powerful. And I'm lucky. And you're blessed. And I was shown empathy that I did not earn. I was shown kindness that I did not deserve. And everybody forgave me very, very quickly when they saw me accepting responsibility for my actions. Mm -hmm. So when I see people like, well, they need to, they need to, uh, they need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. They need to show some personal responsibility. And I'm like, well, you know, that's that's what they probably said about me too. But I was just lucky enough that they didn't let that hold them back for being compassionate to me. Mm. I didn't deserve the grace that I got. No addict yeah. deserves the grace they got, right? So if they're sitting around waiting for us to like, you know, demonstrate gratitude and all of these things, then it's never gonna happen. 
So but I think, you're demonstrating gratitude right now. But not when I was using. Yeah, so no, so I, the expectation yeah. of your average non-drug using civilian is that like, well, they need to come correct before we're going to show them compassion. It's like, that's not how this works. Yeah. So my goal here is by elevating your voices is to be like, look, you know, we, we're showing, we're accepting responsibility just by showing up. Like this is, this is hard. Recovery is hard, like 10 months, you know, like what you guys are going through, you know, wait, waiting to get back. I mean, I don't think this is a vacation. I think it's the most rigorous challenge maybe Absolutely. of your life. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. The emotions for that. And how do you feel about it, Vince? Um, I'm absolutely amazed. What I accomplished in 10 months and what I have in my life is more than what happened in the past 16, 17 years. That's lucky, though. Oh, it is. And I'm glad. But you, I don't know, it, 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 like a lot of things line up, right? Well, I got support from my family, family members that, you know, I wouldn't think, you know, would ever talk to me again. Um, I got friends um, through, uh, you know, the facility I'm at, you know. I got my eyes checked, new eyeglasses. I went to the dentist, cool. got that checked out. I'm gonna work on my Hep C. I just got my uh, GED two weeks ago. Congratulations! And, uh, thank you. And that opened the door to where I can go to sc uh, school. I want to be a zoologist. I absolutely love animals. <laughs> love them. Wolf Park. Well, you're, you're living with a couple animals. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now there is a couple, but yeah. that's that's what I yeah that's what I can do now. Especially How about you? Are? Um, I'm, I'm gonna just touch on the animal thing um, <laughs> because I. Well, I'm Brian. Oh. I have an idea um, that I've run past Vince because we both have a lot of passion for the animals. Um, pit bulls are something that a lot of people turn their heads on and are um, looked upon as no good because of their title, as we are as drug addicts. Yeah. And my favorite animal in the world is a pit bull. I have two at home, and one's name is Lady, and... Mm -hmm. She is the. She was named Lady because we trained her to be a lady, and she is wonderful. And she helps me through my hard times, and she helps my wife through her hard times. It's like a therapy dog. Exactly, and we would like to do something like that after I get a little further in my recovery, as far as long-term treatment and halfway house treatment with dogs and drug addicts and we feel sure. that'll be something that will help them because as you see I've got a lot of emotions um, and I think a dog at night to hug and hold and talk to and care about would be a wonderful thing for Hopefully. somebody who's going through something as well as yeah. for the animal yeah and um I mean Eric you're not feeling emotion because you're emotional, you're feeling it because you're like a human being, you know? And I, I feel, I don't know, I'm really lucky. I feel really lucky that you chose, you know what, we gotta, we gotta change people's hearts, you know? And, and, and it's, it's a lot easier for you to do that from, from where you're at than it is from, I don't know, I just think that it's very, very powerful what yep. you chose to share with us. And I feel really lucky that it happened when I was sitting next to you. Thank you. All y'all, because um, coming back to a halfway house scenario, you know, I lived in a halfway house, you know, and it's it's like the the, the trays of bagels, and then you got the room with the computers. So there's like there's there's the material features that remind me so much, and and, and you know what, I, it's I don't know what is the difference between me and you guys. It's just that I was like really lucky. I mean, I worked really hard, but I was really lucky, and, and I just. I want to create the climate where 
people have better luck. You know, illegal, uh, the, the laws from Trenton, but also the cops, the judges, people themselves, people leaving comments, maybe not be such an asshole next time. I know, because that woman that like made that shitty remark about addicts before she turned all kind, she could have just as easily started out really kind. So like, why was the default to be mean? Or, or like, well, I think it's also a certain amount of days. People feeling better than less than. People feeling I, I this is. Meanwhile, she yeah. was drunk, by the way. So <laughs> figure that one out. Jockeys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alcohol is a drug. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> people way. feel like it's 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 the ego when people feel yeah. they need to put somebody else down so they feel better about themselves, mm-hmm. and that's an unhealthy, ego-driven, as we say, easing God out. It's it's. They need to satiate their ego at the expense of somebody else, which is unhealthy. Oh, Jay, I just wanted to say, re- recovery, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Um, you know, this is hard. We, we, you know, personally, this is, this is hard. We don't just get everything handed back to us, too. No, um, we don't. But again, with, with, with the help of my family, like, by any means necessary, like we were talking about earlier, by any means necessary, I'm not going to pick up. And like when I was using, I had jobs. I had you know this. So, but now, like I, it's everything's tough. It's not just handed back. But you're getting me, the so. job back. But I'm I'm getting there. It's baby steps. There. The patience. It's it's the, all hard. these things that we're learning that we oh didn't God. have I'll, earlier. You know what somebody told me in rehab? They're like, you have no patience. And I'm like, I made some smart comment, and she was just like, you know, of all the virtues, patience is the easy one. I, and I thought, oh my goodness, you know. So I mean, what are the other ones? Chastity, or Chastity, exactly. like, I'm not doing that either. <laughs> I, I don't. Anyway, when they reminded me that patience was, I mean, it seemed like, oh God, how am I gonna like wait until after this AA meeting before I? Because I, I showed up to rehab with an STD, which they diagnosed around day three, and I was like, oh my God, I need a shot, I need the, I need the penicillin right now. No, 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 I'm gonna die. And they're like, no, you're not gonna die. You're gonna go to group, and then you're gonna come back, and we'll give you the shot. I'm like, no, no, I need it now. It's medically known. She's like, no, you're not. This isn't your rules. You got cooties, and I'm gonna take care of them, but not on your time, Patience. dummy. And she just had to um, let me know that it was gonna be fine. It wasn't gonna be fine on my timetable, but my timetable was never fine to begin with. Because we're addicts, we want instant gratification. Right. But guess what? I did not die of syphilis. I, I waited an hour. She gave me the shot, and I was fine. And I didn't have hepatitis C, and I didn't. Be, and you know why? Because I was in Philly, and it was really easy to get needles there. And and, and they would give you if you brought back two. They would give you, they, you know, sometimes they only give you however many you bring. They would give you as many as you need. Yeah, the needle exchange. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I think we're about finished. If you guys wanna wanna add anything else, if you got anything else under the hood. Um, especially about um, intake advice for the wanna-be sober person. Well, I'm talking about, I just want to say something to, to the kids who are trying, you know, who are using now. Just when, when I was young and, and I was using drugs, it was, it was party drugs, and I thought I could just use them on the weekend, have fun, and all that. And to some extent, I did. Heroin and fentanyl, you cannot do that. It's not fun. It doesn't happen. Like, and, and a lot of kids, they think, like, oh, I'll just do this on the weekend. Oh I'll just do this because my friends are doing it tonight. It doesn't happen. You can't, like, don't even touch it for the first time. Right. And, and and the pills are the same thing. The exact same thing. Oxys, Roxys, all that. Roxys, Oxys. It's disgusting. How about you guys? 
I, I just want to say that if you're just starting out and getting clean, just remember your feelings are just your feelings. They're mm. not facts. Mm. Deal with them. You know, they're going to hurt. Like, I'm hurting a little bit now. However, I know that they're just my feelings. And they're just going to make me stronger, and they're just going to make me better. Um, they're not facts. They're nothing more than feelings. And just deal with them. And if you realize that your feelings are feelings, not facts, of the loneliness and the emptiness and the not being wanted, you'll be okay. And, mm. and you'll get through it. Um, I know there's a, a lot of sick and suffering people still out there. And if this by like some chance, like, you know, like lands on their ears, like they got to know that there is help available. Like that feeling of despair, loneliness, mm. it can get better and just, just fight. Just, I'm no different than any one of them. You have to fight. Absolutely. And it does get better. And sometimes it gets worse, but then it gets better again. And um, I'm going to just leave it on a message of hope. You got anything else? Yeah, just, just like there was, um, I remember in high school when I was at St. Joe's, we had to read a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Viktor Frankl, who survived in the, in the in Auschwitz in the concentration camps. It was fascinating. He wrote that 50% of the people wanted to survive, and 50% of the people wanted to throw themselves on the electric fences because they were in the midst of this awful hell. And so he said that the people who wanted to live, either they had somebody in their life who loved them intensely, and for Frankel it was his wife, and he didn't know she had already been killed in the concentration camps, or people that had a faith in God, people believed in a higher power, something greater than themselves. And so for a lot of the guys and gals we work with, um, they spent maybe 90, maybe 99% of their time thinking of their addiction, and now there's that that something that they have to replace that with. And to go to Eric's point, that's love, or to go to Vince's point, that's the 12 steps, or... Stay connected. Yes, yeah, stay connected. And so right. it's just, you know, I believe most of us are broken, but it's now, it's replenishing ourselves with something healthy, something spiritual, however we understand that. And understanding, as Eric said, feelings come and feelings go, but to be grateful, for the mm. gift of this day. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Absolutely. For me, it's service. I mean, service is so important. I think of, you know, being governor and ego, 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 state troopers and helicopters right. and you know, mansion, whatever. Now, service. And then, ultimately, love. So, if you look at all the great teachers of the world, whether you look at, you know, you look at Jesus, look at Rabbi Kiva, you look at the Buddha, you look at any of them, it's all about, you know, the only things that last are things that are done with love. And... And, and Eric, for you to say what you said today, it was like, you know, for, for Jay to talk about, for Vince to talk about prison and Jay to say, to the realization that prison makes things worse, for, for, for Brian to acknowledge his, his in-laws and what they've done for his kids, that's love, that's health, that's good stuff. So thank you, Jay. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to us. That's all for now. I'm Jay Lasseter. This has been Heroin Uncut, presented by NJ1015.com and sponsored by our friends at the Carrier Clinic. Please subscribe to the Heroin Uncut podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or at the NJ1015 app. Until next time, please let us know what you think. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Heroin Uncut, and I hope you'll head over there now and let us know what's on your mind.
What is behavioral health care? Uh, help with their emotional and mental health. I've heard of it, but I don't know. Carrier Clinic thinks differently about behavioral health care, applying new scientific advances to treat mental illness and addiction, replacing routine care programs with alternative treatments and new measurable levels of compassionate care, leading to better patient outcomes. For the best in behavioral health care, think Carrier. For more information, visit carrierclinic.org.